welcome to uh, Highlight Church. We are excited to be here today. Um, one year celebration last weekend. How was that? Was that pretty good? Good, good. This place was um, uh, to the brim. And, uh, and I am excited. We're in week three of the Highly Unlikely series. Um, and so I'm, I'm stoked about it. Let's give it up for our first time guest. We are so honored and excited to have you as well, our second time guest. Thank you for getting up this morning. Um, we know that any other time you'd probably be at home sleep or something, but you decided to be with us and uh, we just want to thank God for you. Um, today we're going to be in the book of Judges. going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 6, so if you brought your Bible, and that's where we're going to be. All right, so to give you some context, Scott's children are in the promised land. Um, this was a, a land promised to them um, hundreds of years prior to, to their father Abraham, the patriarch of uh, Judaism and the Christian faith and even uh, Islam. And so um, in Judges, they're in the promised land. Joshua has died. So Joshua led them back to Canaan. Joshua has passed away. It's been a, a couple hundred years. And actually, I think around uh, Judges chapter 2, it says that um, this generation did not know Joshua. It's one of the saddest verses you're going to ever read in all of scriptures. Judges chapter 2, I think it's verse 10. And this is the generation that did not know Joshua. And um, so because before Joshua died, he told them, when you get into the promised land, clear, clear, out, clear out all the enemies. Because if you don't, uh, the way that they live is going to influence the way that you live. So the idols that they worship, if you're not careful, you're going to end up worshiping the idols that they worship. And that's just not going to be good for you. And so uh, Joshua passes away, and it says that this is the generation that did not know Joshua. And so um, we see God's children there in the promised land, yet they have began to adopt the customs and the beliefs of the neighboring subcultures around them. They did not clear out the land. They did not put away um, uh, past sins. They did not put away habits they did not allow the Lord to free them from addictions and their brokenness. They, they entertained these things. And so uh, what happened was they end up in a cycle of struggle. And there's a saying that, that says you're either going into a struggle, coming out of a struggle, or you're currently in a struggle. That's just how life is. You're either going into, coming out of, or you're currently in a struggle. And so uh, Judges bears witness to this because they would serve God faithfully. God would deliver them and, and they would, God would bless them. Then they would turn their backs on God. They would forget God Monday through Friday. And um, that, that was sowing seed for that next week and they'd be struggling again. And, you know, then they'd serve God again and he delivered them. They'd cry out. He'd send a judge and they would deliver them. Just giving you some context to the book. And um, where we're going to, jump in today in Judges 6, the children of God are currently under um, pretty much slavery to the Midianites for seven years. And um, what happened is, is that they would cry out to God and he would raise up a judge. Now, these judges aren't those that sit behind a desk and have a big chair with a gavel and, and you know, declare 
guilty, not guilty. These are individuals that the Lord raised up, normal people that God raised up um, in strength and power, and they delivered the children of Israel. Normal people, eight to five people like you and I, that, that you know, whenever they cried out, God would say, okay, I'm going to place my spirit on this person and raise them up, and they're going to do phenomenal things. And, um, and so here in Judges chapter 6, what we see is seven years of indentured um, servitude to the, to, the, to the Midianites. And so um, anytime Israel would have a harvest season, the Midianites would come and salvage their harvest, would take away all the goodness. And so in order for the children of Israel to eat, they had to go to the Midianite stores to buy. Um, they abused them. They beat them. And they were just under such bondage. And so what happens? The children of Israel, they cry out. And God is about to raise up a judge. And um, what's interesting is I was doing a study. Uh, the Labor Department said that uh, the average American, that's you and I, we spend most of our time doing three things um, throughout the day. Sleep, work, and leisure activity. So be it sports or watching TV or going on a trip or whatever. We sleep, we work, and we do leisure activity. But what doesn't stop is the cycle of struggle. You're either going to go into a struggle, come out of a struggle, or you're currently in a struggle. And even though that cycle of struggle is still operative in your life, you're going to do three things. You're going to sleep, you're going to work, and you're going to find some kind of way to go have some ice cream, to go catch a movie, and to hang out with friends. And it's within that context of life that God is saying, you know what? Whenever I'm about to do something amazing in the earth, whenever I'm, I'm about to do something in, in, in someone's family or in a city or, or in this nation, I'm looking for the person that's sleeping, working, or doing a leisure activity. And I'm looking for a person that's in that current cycle of struggle where they're either in a struggle, coming out of one, or about to go into one, which tells me that we all in this room qualify for the greatness of God in the earth. We all have the ability and the capacity to do phenomenal things for the kingdom of God because we're all just normal people. And so this is the narrative. Today I want to bring a message to you entitled, not hard to find. You're not hard to find. You're in church this morning. You're going to be going to work tomorrow. You're going to come home, do a leisure activity, and then you're going to go to sleep. You're not hard to find at all. And so um, this is going to be a message of encouragement. And uh, I've already given you the context. So we're going to go to Judges 6, verse 11. Are we ready? Good. It says here, then the angel of the Lord, I need you to underline, highlight, star, and circle that. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the tree of Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> now, she's not that old. Which belonged to Joaz of the clan of Ebizar, I think that's the name. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The first point I want to bring to you today is that it's okay to hit rock bottom. It's okay to hit rock bottom. 
You're not hard to find. A lot of us in here may be at rock bottom right now in our lives. Now, this is interesting because you have Gideon, the son of Joash, and he is currently threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, in ancient culture, you would thresh wheat on a hilltop. And so you would get your stalks of wheat, and what was covering the grain of wheat was what you call chef. And so what you would do is you would take the wheat and you would physically beat it. And Gideon is supposed to be on a hilltop doing this work. The reason why you were going to be on a hilltop was because the wind was going to take the chef or the, the shell of the grain and it would blow it out of the way so that you could receive the sustenance, which was the wheat itself, the grain to go home and to eat it. But we find Gideon in a wine press. Now, wine presses were in depressed areas of the land. They were in a valley of sorts. And so you would take grapes back then, and you would literally step on the grapes, and all the grape juice would go down into two different vats, where, where you would collect that from, where you would collect those grapes, and you would put them into bottles, and you would have wine. But what we see here is a man of God, a child of God, someone that God loves, at a very low place in life. And the reason he's doing this is because he's hiding from the enemy. And God has never called you to hide from Satan. God has given you power over Satan. Jesus overcame Satan on the cross. Jesus overcame Satan when he rose from the grave for your sin. He's never called you to do your thing at rock bottom. Now, it's okay to hit rock bottom because you got to realize this. It says this here, the angel of the Lord. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say an angel of the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. This is what you call a theophany. This is God coming down in human form to speak to Gideon. This is Jesus Christ pre-birth pre-Christmas. This is Christmas early, y'all. This is Christmas on December 24th. Anyone open presents on December 24th? Anyone has to wait to December 25th, show of hands? Some of y'all just too religious to even answer it, but look, when we, um, back when I, this, sorry, I'll get back to you. Back when I was being raised, um, it wasn't my family. Uh, we, we did one present on Christmas Eve. And I hated it because it was always a book or some underwear or socks. And I wanted to know what were in all of those boxes over there. And so we wake up and open all the great presents on Christmas morning. But anyway, this is Jesus Christ himself. So just to give you a pro tip, whenever you're reading the Old Testament and you see the angel of the Lord, that's Christ manifesting himself, talking to an individual. He didn't just wait to, to be conceived and marry. That's a deeper theology we'll deal with at some other time. But Gideon is in a low place. I remember about two years ago, I was playing basketball with Jaziel, and obviously I was beating him. And um, there was one particular, I mean, the goal was about this height, so, you know, I'm between the legs, dunking in 360 and all this stuff. Sorry, I just, if you don't like basketball but there, at one point I um I did what what was called a pump fake you know anyone know about the pump fake when you're playing basketball 
It's to get your defender in the air, and as they're coming down, you go up for the jumper. Well, I pump faked him. He's shorter than me, so pump faking him really doesn't make any sense. I pump faked him, and I went up to shoot. He came up, and his nail went right into my eye. And so, you know, it's hurting, and I went into the house, and I'm like, okay, it's just a, a normal poke. Put some water in it, you know, washed it out with some eye wash, and it wouldn't stop hurting. And, um, and so, you know, I, I stayed in for the rest of that day because, you know, even when I closed my eye, it would hurt so bad. And so the rest of that day I stayed in, and the next day I went to the eye doctor, and they, uh, they opened my eye, and it was extremely red and swollen. And uh, he took pictures of my eye. Come to find out, my cornea had been cut. Anyone ever cut your cornea? We say tooth pain, tooth pain sucks, but this sucks. Because they'll, people tell you, hey, just close your eyes. What they don't understand is that your eyeball is still moving around on the inside of your eyelid. And as my eyeball moves around, it's peeling back my cornea. And every time I move my eyeball around, it hurts like crap. And so um, this, this sidelines me for like six, seven days. And we have a newborn in the house. And Kyra's just starting work again. And I'm in pain. I'm in emotional pain. I'm... I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm disgruntled, and I, everywhere I go in the house, Kyra has to guide me to the, to the kitchen, and I'm like, is this, is this an orange, or is it, what is it, is it apple, and I'm like, is this milk, is this water, and everywhere I go, and I got to sit down, and, and she has to feed me, and Jay has to feed me, and all this stuff, and they, they put me back in a dark room, and I'm just in the dark, and I'm crying, and I'm, I'm disgruntled, and I'm like, Lord, this isn't right. I should be out there helping my wife. And, you know, we're about to move in a year and a half. We got this team that we're trying to build. I got meetings every Tuesday and every Sunday. What in the world is this all about? This sucks. I got to call out for work. We can't even afford for me to call out for work because her little paycheck doesn't pay all the bills. I need, to, I need to go to work. I need to be helping my wife. And so around day four, Kyra asked me, babe, how are you doing? I mean, I'm on ibuprofen and Tylenol, and there's another stronger pain medicine that was just giving me a headache. I had to stop taking it. And she said, how are you doing? And so by this point, I had a bandage, so it was preventing my eyelid from pulling back my cornea. I was getting better. And I said, you know, I'm in this dark room, like a movie scene, you know. I'm doing okay. No, I said, you know, I think, I think I'm doing a lot better. Um, because even though I've been secluded to this small room for the past four or five days, I think, I think the Lord has started to speak to me about the need to hit rock bottom and to be in a place where you can't do what you want to do. Because it's sometimes in that place where I can get your undivided attention. And I remember his presence on day four before she came in. He started speaking that he loved me and Kyra's going to be okay and the boys are going to be okay and she needs to know what you go through when you're with the boys all the time, so I'm teaching her a lesson. <laughs> and um, his promises and his comfort just came into the room. Now, I know, I get it. My little eye injury can't compare to your money woes. 
and your marriage deal and, and your divorce and your struggles and everything you're going through. But what I want to tell you is this, is that when you're at rock bottom, that's when the presence of the Lord is the greatest. Rock bottom seasons are the ripest seasons for you to have the greatest encounter with the spirit of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you need to be at rock bottom because you need to know that there is no such thing as a life that's blessed without the presence of God at the helm of it. You need to know that God is your end all be all in your life. And so Psalm 34, 4 through 7 says this, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. That's a promise. That's a promise. Those who look to him for help, not man, not money, not status, not education, not network, not clout, not food, not fitness, not, no, those who look to him will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my trouble. Run that back. I mean, in my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from some of, no. He saved me from a, nope. He saved me from all, all. Anyone dealing with some trouble in here today? Oh, uh, well, we're talking to Jesus. It's, can, can I get some hands? Anyone dealing with some trouble in here today? He saved me from all of my trouble. But the prerequisite is this. In my desperation, I prayed. And right now we're dealing with a generation that does not pray. Right now, we're dealing with a generation that only prays when there is crisis. Prayer shouldn't be your last resort. It should be your first resource. And so a lot of the trouble that you're going through could be prevented if you would just pray first and not last. And so he goes on and he says this here. He says, for the angel looks like Jesus of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds me and defends all who fear him. Hey, when we pray, God answers. When you pray, God answers in his perfect will. When you cry out, God shows up. When you're at rock bottom, he's there to lift you up, prepared, ready, and willing to lift you up from the bottom. And so Judges 6, 12 through 13 says this. It says that um, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and, the, and, and uh, said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. This is just like us. We're always pointing the blame on God and on other things, not realizing that what God the children of Israel in this situation was that they took their focus off of God and put their focus on things. And so my second point of encouragement is this. Where you are doesn't define who you are. Where you are doesn't define who you are. You remember a few weeks back, I lost my wallet. Uh, one morning, we were, uh, Kyra was at, at uh, 
work, and I had the boys, and we had baseball game to attend. And uh, I wanted to get out of the house at 8 o'clock because I wanted to stop at Chick-fil-A, leave Chick-fil-A by 8.30 so I can be to the field by 9. And so, you know, I told you the story. I ended up staying, staying at the house looking for my wallet um, until about 8.30, and we showed up at the baseball field extremely late. And um, I was ticked off. And so I used that point to say, you know, we are our own worst enemies and all that stuff. It was a different analogy on that day. Chris actually bought me this wallet, and he paid a good amount of money for it. In that wallet, it's my debit cards. In that wallet, there's cash and identification cards. In that wallet, is very valuable things. Would you know that uh, that Tuesday after I preached to you on Sunday, I found my wallet in one of the very places I looked for my wallet. It was in the glove compartment behind a piece of notebook paper. And I just got to thinking, man, like, even though that wallet was displaced, even though that wallet was not in the place it was supposed to be, it did not deduce, reduce, or degrade the value of the wallet or what was on the inside of the wallet. So you may be in a current circumstance right now that looks like where you're not supposed to be, but it doesn't reduce who you are in the eyes of God. The Bible says that you were created in the image of God. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of God. You're more than a conqueror. You're loved and God sees you and he knows where you are. So don't allow your circumstances where you are right now in your money, in your finances, in your health, in your relationships. Don't allow your circumstances to define who you are. You have to bulk up and stand up and know that you are a child of God and you're going somewhere and Jesus loves you and he has a great plan for your life and you need to fight for that thing because you are going somewhere. So Gideon may have been down and out, but it didn't take away from the fact that the hand of God was on his life. And guess what? God is not a wimp. He's not like us. He doesn't get frazzled and, 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 and offended when someone talks about us. He straight up told Jesus, like, it's your fault we're here. And Jesus is like, you're still a mighty warrior. I still love you. I don't care. I'm going to tell you to your face that I've still called you and I have a plan for your life. I don't, I don't get, I'm not afraid of you. I love this here. And it says this, Les Brown, I want to share this quote. He says that the graveyard is the richest place on the earth. And he says, because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step, keep with the problem, or determined to carry our are determined to carry out their dream. Dreams die with the dreamer. Visions die with the visionary. Aspirations die with the one who aspires for the context of their life to be something greater in their future, greater than it was in their past. All these, all these books and movies that we're going to never read, these movies we're going to never see, these ministries, these churches that we're going to never see start up, die with those that God put it on the inside. Because all of these individuals that Mr. Brown is talking about, 
somehow, some way, somewhere in their life, they got caught up in a circumstance, a temporary circumstance. And they allowed that circumstance to become a permanent holding place for the death and the suffocation of the desire and the vision and the dream that God had placed on the inside of them. And this is what Gideon is up against. He's up against allowing the circumstance to have more influence over his life than who Jesus has declared that he is in God. There is no circumstance you can't overcome. There's no relationship that God can't heal. There's nobody that's at the bottom that God can't raise up to the top. There's no disease or addiction that is held on to you that God can't break in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that we won't hear the we won't hear your song if you don't get out of this place in your thinking. We won't see you be raised up as the mentor and the leader that you are if you don't escape this lack of faith and this lack of trust in Jesus. We won't hear about you, but you got to rise up. God has declared that you are mighty in Jesus' name. You are mighty. And I got about this side of the room believing that you are mighty. And if you're going to be mighty, you need to clap this thing up. I think this side agrees. This section agrees. I don't know about this section. I, I can't wait to do a series next year. It's, it's going to be called Blazing and Amazing, just like that. And it's going to be about pioneers. Um, it just, you know. You know, for, for me, I believe in everything that I'm preaching. Um, thank you. Um, look, I, some of you have heard me say this before. I'm the baby of 24 kids. Um, I love my mom and dad to death, but they never married. And um, I, I got engaged to a woman who had a child before I met her. And God called me to father that child. You're looking at a man who's never made over $17,000 in a year. But for some reason, I was able to get eight adults to move with me and to leave their family. And everything that brought them comfort and sustainability. And we launched this church. I'll share the story in a second. We had 16000 in the account, we launched it with 13. I'll double back around. But um, when you have faith, and when you have integrity, and when you love Jesus, there's nothing you can't do. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your color. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your political party. There's nothing that you can't do. I was telling my wife in the bed uh, last night, I said, you know what, man, there's so much happening in our church and in our lives. And uh, I'm like, man, um, I said, I am. I'm expectant, dude. Like, I'm 30. 
And if I'm going to be alive until 70, the things that he's done in less than a year, what? Excuse me, devil. It's, it's about to just start in fun. And so I told her, you know, we're 30 right now, but when we're 35, we're going to be grateful that we didn't allow temporary circumstances to define who we were and to eliminate the future and the destiny that God had on our lives. And so we're going to keep pushing the kingdom of Jesus forward because it's the best thing going on earth. Now, if I can get an amen from the church. Highly unlikely. God can raise up anybody. You've been molested. You've been abused. Your dad wasn't there. You've been lied to. You've been through a divorce. You've been the offender. God loves you. God can use anybody. But you got to let him use you. And you can't lose focus on a Tuesday at work. You, you can't allow Sunday's word to carry you over to next Sunday. You, got, you guys got to get to light group, man. Now, am I, I, don't, I forgot this. You got, I'm just talking to you as a pastoral figure right now. You got to get to light group. Satan does not want you in community. He doesn't, he doesn't want to remind you that on Wednesday that where you are doesn't define who you are. So when you're, when you're at home or when you've gotten off of work on Wednesday and you're tired and you don't know if you're going to go to small group, no, I'm just not going to go. I need to chill. But you're so focused on your circumstance. What Satan doesn't want you to be reminded of is, is this point. Because your light group leader has already prayed for you. They're waiting on you to show up. And you're going to get faith and encouragement and strength in your heart. Number one, because you are in community. And number two, it's because you guys are popping up, popping open the word of God. And you're getting that faith in your heart. And what you get on Wednesday is what you need to get you to that next Sunday. So please, this week, fight to show up to small groups. I don't care if you're 60, if you're 70, if it's going to be your first time, if you're 20, if you're a teenager and you've never come and you've been invited 20 million times, you need to get to small group. Because it's right around Wednesday, Thursday, where you start to feel defeated. And you don't have to allow your temporary circumstances to define who you are. Romans 8, 35 through 37 says this. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted and hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Nothing can separate you from the presence, the calling, and the purpose of God on your life. Judges 6.14, here it is. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Point number three is I want to encourage you to use what's in your heart and hands. Use what's in your heart and hands. 
Last September, we did what was called 30 and 30. <laughs> we wanted to raise uh, $30,000 in 30 days before we started the church. We had 14000 in the checking account. And by the end of September, it was 16000 So we should have renamed it 2K in 30 days um, because that's what we hit. And, and, and there, there are reasons for this, okay? There are other pastors that have poured into my life and encouraged me, other church planners and, you know, more resources in the kids' room and all this stuff. Um, but it was what it was. And so we prayed and we fasted. And I went to my wife and I said, you know, we got to move forward with what's in our hands. And 13,000, uh, what we did was with that 16, we took 13, paid for everything that, that we utilized. And you wouldn't even know that in that day, um, we didn't have road cases. I wish I had the picture. We had a smaller U-Haul. Everything was ratchet strapped to the, to the, this stuff was all over the place, about to be broken. And um, it was just, it was crazy. But we took $13,000 and we launched this church. I left 3000 in the checking, 2000 in the checking, one in the savings for a month of rent in, in a rainy day. And uh, not knowing if we were going to make it. As a matter of fact, a year ago this weekend, there was only about 38 to 40 people in this room. Um, that's adults and kids included. After 121 showed up the weekend before when we launched, talk about depression and fear and stress. Like, is this, are we going to make it? But at any rate, we used $13,000. And uh, to a lot of my, my friends, that wasn't a lot of money. Because we had been told, you know, you can need about 100000 to do this thing. About 120 to do it. About 200,000, quarter million, still a great worship experience. People show up in droves. And I had to weigh that advice because God had put something on our hearts and He had put something in our hands. And I, got, I just got to tell you the over 50 people who gave their lives to Jesus and that are going to be going to heaven when they pass away is worth more than $13,000. Over 20 baptisms is worth more than $13,000. The kids that hear about Jesus every week is worth more than $13,000. Addictions broken is worth more than $13,000. Marriages healed is worth more than $13,000. Because God's hand was already on us, whether we started this church with a dollar or with a million, he was going to do his thing. So What's in your hands and what is in your heart right now? He says, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. I know you're the weakest. I know you're the least. Maybe all you have in your heart is faith. Go in it. Maybe all you have is a vision. Go in it. Maybe all you have is a desire. Go in it. Maybe all you have is a few hundred dollars in the bank. Go with it. Maybe all you have in your hand is an ability, is a gift, is a small community of friends that's going to push you forward into everything that God has for you. Take that small community, those one, two, three people that are going to push you forward into God's destiny for your life and go with it. God's hand of blessing is going to be on 
that thing. It, it already is. And a lot of us, we're wishing we had this. We're, we're wishing that we had that, and we're wishing we could live over there because once we live over there, it's going to be better. And once we get into that neighborhood and into that school and with that group of people, once they accept me, I'm going to be good. Not understanding that God has already given you every person, every bit of resource, the church. He's giving you the word of God, the promises of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Paul says in the book of Romans that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus rose from the grave. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything that you're going to ever need. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength you have. Because God wants the world to know that when you started out, to succeed and to overcome and to be free and to make an impact. God wants the world to know that it was not by your strength, but that it was by his. And so he doesn't mind you lacking naturally because he knows that he is all that you need. You know, we were, we were out at dinner Tuesday with, with our directional team, and I said, you know, it's time for us to strap on our seatbelts. We had our Easter egg drop last year. Um, we're praying about doing another one. Um, and we'll see. It may be at the fairgrounds. But um, we have a lot of vision and, and, and desire in our hearts. And we're going to use what we have in our hands to continue to do what God has called us to do. Judges 6, 15 through 16 says this. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest, here he is again, in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I know that you don't seem like the one that's going to change your family or reach a city or change the world. But God says, I've chosen you. I want to share a story with you about John D. Rockefeller. Um, <laughs> I love the way it starts out. It says, in the history of loser dads, just listen in. This is powerful. In the history of loser dads, somehow, um, with those who somehow ended up with successful kids, William Rockefeller, John's dad, might stand head and shoulders above the rest. Not only was he literally a snake oil salesman who disappeared for months at a time and left his kids and wife to fend for themselves, but he did it so he could spend more time with his other family that he'd hidden in another town. Yet all things considered, his son, John Rockefeller, was a pretty well-adjusted teenager. So, okay, dad wasn't there. It's all good. I love him. He got his first job as an assistant bookkeeper at 16, which he celebrated as job day for the rest of his life. You need to celebrate the little things. Celebrate. You just got the job you're praying for. Two weeks in, you want to quit it. Celebrate the little things. Okay. And he says this here. He went to church at 16. Watch this. Where he tithed 10% of his income from day one. He kept a little notebook where he recorded investments and all his savings and expenses. 
Then all that seemed to be for nothing. Then all of that seemed to be for nothing because the panic of 1857 hit. This is when the economy in America collapsed and it collapsed hard and basically ruined everything. Or it did basically for everyone but Scrappy Rockefeller. He actually liked the panic and the fact that it happened. And he says this, Oh, how blessed young men and women are who have to struggle for a foundation and beginning in life. He once said, I shall never cease to be grateful for the three and a half years of apprenticeship and the difficulties to be overcome all along the way. It was this panic that he got a real education in the markets. He saw how despite their mansions and fancy clothes, most investors were completely irrational and they lacked self-control in their emotions. He saw how easily they were swayed by public opinion and current events. It was this insight that eventually led him to thrive on financial calamities and obstacles. If you looked at his bank account during the Civil War, the panics of 1873, 1907, and 1929, you'd see that it actually did better, that he actually did better in these terrible times. In fact, within 20 years of that crisis, Rockefeller controlled 90% of the oil market. Why? In his words, he says, I was inclined to see the opportunity in every disaster. The last point today is this. Your disadvantages give you the advantage. He was inclined to see the opportunity in every disaster. Every disaster. And some of you may say, hey, I didn't have a father growing up. Not great, but guess what? you have the ability now and the opportunity to be an amazing parent one day. Some of you will say, no one in my family has ever done this. Good. Blaze a new trail. Be a pioneer. Disadvantage is all about perspective. You can either see it as something that's an obstacle or a stepping stone. And it's also all about faith. Maybe God wants to do a new thing through you that's never been done. And this is what Jesus is trying to get Gideon to accept in his heart. I know I chose you on purpose. Everyone out of the two million people in Israel work, sleep, do leisure time. And there is constantly in the struggle cycle. But I intentionally chose you. Because I need to show the world and my children that I take the least of these and I take those that are most disadvantaged and I, my presence, my love, my power, my perspective, my word, my promises, when they apply them, will give them the advantage in life. Let's give the word of God a hand clap of praise. God draws near to the weak, the least, the most overlooked, and the underdog. And it's with God that your disadvantages give you the advantage. 
It's with God that in the next 10 years, if you hold on faithfully and you serve him, your friends are going to be calling you, asking you, how do I get out of this situation? What are you doing? How did you go from here in 2017 to here? Man, I know you were trying to get me to go to church. I know you were trying to get me to meet Jesus, but I didn't listen, and this is where I am now, and I need you. And the person that was once overlooked for serving God, you're going to be the very person that God raises up to deliver your people in a city in a nation, and to make a difference in society. This is Gideon's calling, and this is our calling. You are the highly unlikely. You are the highly unlikely. Praise God. Let's pray, church. Father, we give you glory and honor this morning, and I just thank you for everything, Lord, that you're doing in our lives. And uh, Jesus, we love you. And Father, we know that you call the least of these to do the greatest things. Church, I'm going to pray, and if that be you, at the end of this prayer, just lift your hand. I'm going to pray the prayer of salvation. If you want to give your heart to Jesus this morning, you, re you repeat it right there in your seat um, to yourself and to God. And if afterwards that be you, raise your hand. Father God, I love you. I am a sinner who's in need of forgiveness and salvation. Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for my sin. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord, that there is a calling and a purpose on my life. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that I can become a new creation today in you. Thank you, Jesus, that the past is over and my destiny and my calling and my future in you is ahead of me. Lord Jesus, I love you. Amen.